0: Nothing that shows the limitations of the human mind more than a couple minutes with Barney Fife. Now, I illustrate that today because where we are and our focus in the wilderness today with Jesus and Satan is a mind game. It's a mental struggle. It's a mental battle. There's there's war going on here. And I want you to see in this passage today as we, as we look at it again from Matthew 4, if you want to turn there. I want you to see there that, that this is continual. It is... It is an onslaught. It, there's no break. There is, it is intentional. It is strategic. I want you to see here that the battle that you and I face in the wilderness often over and over and over and over again is a battle in the mind. It's a battle for how we think. It's a battle, battle for how we see things. It's a battle for how we process the very things we're seeing. It's a battle for the mind, and he knows that, and he comes at our mind V- uh, clearly in this passage. Let's look at it, look at it once again. Matthew chapter 4, picking pick up in verse 1 and then down through verse 11 together. That Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This mental battle is, first of all, a battle for who we are. It's a battle for who we are. Verse 3 speaks to that. Look at it with me. If you're the son of God, the tempter came to him. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If if you're the son of God, he says. So the enemy will always try to cause doubt in your mind and in my mind about who we are and what we're up to. He will cause a doubt about the things certainly that we're unsure of, and doubt always about the things that push us closer to God. If there's something we're engaged in, a conversation, relationship, an activity, at the end of which we come, or at least our motive is, to come out more Godlike than when we, got, when we went into that in the first place, he's going to, 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 to develop, if he can, a seed and a wedge of doubt in every, every thought in our mind about that. Why? Because he knows if he, he has our testimony, he has our, our hey, we're toast. If he can keep us from telling our story about what God's done, what he's doing, what he's up to, this process that we're going, walking through with him, he's got us. And so he plays this mental doubt game with us just as he was trying to do with Jesus here. Now, he was trying to cast doubt. Watch this with me. He was trying to cast doubt into the, one, into the mind of the one who made everything and who knows everything. Can you get that with me? At the enemy was trying to cast doubt into, into, into the mind of one who is omnipotent and one who is omniscient who knows it all, who was there at creation, formed and fashioned creation into existence. As God spoke it, he fashioned it to, to make it look like what it looks like and the color. And the, we were enjoying a sunset last night at the house. And here's Jesus fashioning sunsets, fashioning the, the cycles of the earth. And so he was there and saw all of this. And, it, and, it, and the mind of Satan is trying to, to cause doubt in the mind of Jesus to say, if you are God's son, if you're really the son of God. Now, we looked at last week in our, in our look at overcoming adversity, trying to leverage adversity to overcome the obstacles that we face in the wilderness. That here was, there, there was no more adverse situation than Jesus was in. He was 40 days and 40 nights without food. He was, his body was beginning to feed on itself. His mind was beginning to play mind games with him because of what, what was physically uh, and uh, for his metabolism going on in his body. And here he's at a desperate place and the enemy knows when we're at a desperate place and he knows Jesus is there physically and emotionally and spiritually and uses that to try and cast doubt on who he is. There's, there's something delusional about the mind of Satan who's trying to cast doubt in, in, using, using hunger, using, using physical ailments and frailties to try and cast doubt in the mind of one who would say, in fact, turn over maybe a page or two to Matthew chapter 5 and we see in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are those, verse 6, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Trying to cast doubt in the mind who, of, of the one who only days later would say, blessed are those who th- hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, this was God he was trying to cast doubt into the mind of, to try and confuse and, 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 and make make, uh, make himself, uh, or put Jesus rather, in a state of, of quandary to where he is my father really there? Can I really count on him? I mean, <clears throat> yes, I'm hungry, and yes, I have the power to turn these stones to bread, but is that the will of my father? Is it the will of my father that the enemy will remind me, remind me of what I need more than what is needed for my ministry? What I need in this moment more than what's needed for the next three and a half years out of my life? Is it, is it God the father? And so those, those, those thoughts of, of doubt <clears throat> and confusion and question it's exactly what the enemy's up to with us. When we find ourselves in the wilderness, in a hard place, in a place of adversity, the first, usually the first tool he uses is pulls out the doubt card to say, is this really real? Can you count on this? Is this real in every situation, every time, in every moment? Is he that kind of God? He was trying to get the Lord Jesus to question or doubt who he was and what, is, what the nature of what he, what he was about. So, so, And he does the same with us. It's an identity thing. If you are His, then He would show up and take care of you, wouldn't He? If He loves you, then He would provide for you more, more in a more uh, secure fashion, wouldn't He? If if He is real, then He would He would take care of this physical frailment, this, this this health issue you got. Wouldn't He do those things? And over and over, the enemy says, "If, if, if, if He is God, if He is real, if He is true, if He is trustworthy, and He is all those things." And his, his, his card to play is, is the doubt card. So trying to get us to forget and nullify who we are. We always need to remember in the wilderness who we are. It carries us through the wilderness. In fact, who we are is we belong to him. I'm redeemed. I'm a child of the king. And the king is walking with me through this process of a hard place. Doubt is the enemy's vehicle to, to dissuade us from seeing that. Secondly, the, the mental battle is not only for who we are, the verses 5 and 6 speak to the fact that the mental battle is for where we stand. Look at those two verses with me. The devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And here's this if again, if you are the son of God. Now, why the highest point of the temple? Because it was the central point of Jewish culture, of all belief of Judaism. It was the point at which, or the place at which every Jew reckoned themselves and found the presence of holy God. It's where they went to, to, to see and hear from and know Jehovah. It's where Yahweh was found himself encamped in the temple. So the temple is the symbol of everything they are, what they believe, what their life is about, everything that drives them spiritually temple is a symbol of that. That's why he has Jesus on the, on the pinnacle of the temple saying to him, in essence, where's your father now? How Standing on the, on the pinnacle of the temple, certainly out of balance because he's deprived of food and weak, and as I said yet last week in a desperate place, trying to keep his balance on the top of the temple dome and, and, and standing there to, for, the, for the enemy to say, where's your father now? In fact, if you're God's son, jump off this thing because it's written, And the enemy knows scripture as well as you and I do, but he distorts it, twists it, pulls out nuggets, does his own spin on it to, to, to to form his argument to where there's some validity to what he's trying to say. But here he stands. Jesus on the temple says, throw yourself off. If you're the son of God, the angels promised there will come and catch you. The angels in scripture that that, that is written about, they'll be the ones who, who will not let your foot hit, hit a stone to protect your feet from hitting a stone. And so, He's, he's saying, in, in essence, creating this doubt game again. Where is your father now? How is your faith working for you now? You are, on the, you, you are on the pinnacle of the symbol of faith in this, in this community and in this place, and really in all the world at that time. How is this working for you now? Do you feel confident in your faith now? And he does that for us. He, 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 he takes us to the place where the, th- in the things we see that work, whether it's our job or our family or our home or our set of friends or relationships we have, he takes those things that are steadfast, the things that we think we can count on every time, every day, in every situation, and tries to cast doubt using those very things. He does that over and over and over again. If, if God were God, why would not, this stead, why would not the, 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 your marriage be better? If God were God, why would, you, why would he not allow you to be compensated more so you could provide better for your family? If God were God, why would, your, why would your loved one have this health problem? If God were God, why did he allow this little kid to get sick with leukemia? If God were God, explain cancer to me. If God were God, and over and over and over, he, he takes those steadfast things in the lives of those people in those situations and circumstances around you to say, if your God were true, this would work, but it's not working. So where's your God? He, he tries to cast doubt and tries to question where we stand because if we're standing on those things, and that's the dangerous thing to do, to stand on a family, to stand on a, on a spouse, to stand on kids, to stand on a job. It's a dangerous thing to do because when those things get shaky, our lives get shaky. When we're standing on the rock, uh, what's that little song you learned in pre, preschool? Or, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock. And, or the, I don't even remember the song. Anyway, if we're, on the, if we're standing on the rock instead of on the sand, if we're standing on the sand, standing on the things that we think will, will, will reckon us and stabilize us, Those things are under attack over and over and over again by the enemy to say, you can't count on these things because your God will not allow you to. Where is he? Where is he when these things start to be questioned and shake? If we're standing on those steadfast things, if those things are the steadfast things, we're in trouble. In the desert, though, expect those things to be under attack. In a hard place, expect the enemy to attack those things that you think or appear to be steadfast around you. That's exactly where he's going to go. He's not going to go to things you don't care about. He's going to go to the very things that are at the bedrock of who you are and attack those things around you, th- those family members, those friends, that job. That. He's going to attack the things you thought, gee, I, I thought I had this together. No. It's, it it will all cr- can all crumble in a moment. And he wants to illustrate that to say, where's your God in all this? Well, why is your God not showing up and doing a better job of taking care of you? Here's this. We talked about this. We've talked about this for the last couple of weeks in small groups in our study, Epic, and how our stories tie, to, tie together with the story of God, he is always up to something more than what that situation shows. Always. We think, and, and, and you've, asked, you've heard the questions, I've heard them too, if God were loving God, why in the world would he allow some lunatic to head into an elementary school and gun down a bunch of innocent kids? If God were a loving, caring, compassionate God, why would he allow something like that? And the answer is always bigger than just that. Because God is always, there's several things in play. One, God is always up to more than just that. He's always up to to something more than just a little kid being gunned down. He's always up to the ripple effect of that into the lives of other people for himself to be revealed in in those situations. And we can't discount the fact that we have a real, 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 and he's as real as this podium is, real enemy, the enemy says, who is roaming about. Seeking to devour you, seeking to take your witness and say it's 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 toast. Your God can never be depended on; He can never be counted on. And your story should reflect that. Because where is He now? Where is He now? He's always up to more than we see, always. And we always have an enemy who is roaming about, seeking to toast us, to make toast out of us. It, it, there is no other explanation for the things that happen in a broken world, in a broken place that calls Him the Prince of the Power of the Air. You see when. Uh, uh, and we'll talk about this a little more in a moment, but when Lucifer was cast out of heaven in Isaiah 14, he was given dominion of this, over this earth for a season. The season is coming to a close, but he is for a season the prince of the power of the air, but he'll always question who we are. He'll always cast doubt on who we are and where we stand. Thirdly, the middle battle is for what we value. It is for what we value. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. All this I'll give you if you bow and worship me. First, were these kingdoms his to give away? Well, let's think about that. On the surface, God created the heavens and the earth. Yes, he created a perfect place in Eden. But from Eden forward, we've been corrupting it ever since. We've been been using it for our own good and for our own pleasure and for our own Development for our own grandizement. Ever since the ever, ever since the garden, it was perfect in the garden, and it's been getting darker and more broken ever since the garden. And so, in some sense, yes, these kingdoms that he was having Jesus look at from this high mountain were man-made; they weren't made by God. They were made by man, and thus, consequently, at some influence of the enemy himself to put them in place. So he's saying, "These kingdoms I'll give you," saying with some level of authority, "In part, I created these kingdoms, having dominion over the earth, and I'll give you these kingdoms." If you'll bow down and worship me, they were in part his to give away, yet they were man-made. And so, as, as, as I said a moment ago, when Lucifer was cast out of, the, out of, the, out of heaven in, in Isaiah 14, he and, and, and a number of demons, now demons with him at that time, angels, when they were cast out of heaven in Isaiah 14, they were given dominion of the earth. Jesus himself, himself speaks to this in John chapter 12, says this, Now is the time for judgment of the world. Now the prince of this world, that's who he's referring to, the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up, I will draw men to me saying he is the prince for a season. At the end of that season, he's going to see who the real prince is. He sees himself and envisions himself as the king and having dominion over the earth as he roams about, scripture says, for a season. That season is going to come to a close. And I hope it's soon. In fact, I believe it's sooner than we think. But he always questions the things we value, the things that we think are 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 of extreme importance in our lives. And so Satan's temptation to hear was to Jesus was about what you Get this, it's pivotal. His temptation to Jesus is about what you what you owned. Jesus response to him was about what owned you. He says, Sir, I will give you the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus says, <laughs> Uh If you bow down to worship, Jesus says in verse 10, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In essence, Jesus' response was about what owns you, and Satan's temptation was about what you own. He will always work that way, he will always come at you from an angle that that is in reverse order, as to where, usually, as to how God works to say, if God were showing up, you would see him here. If he worked this way, you would see him at work in this situation. The reason, the, way you, or the reason you can is because he's not here, and that's a lie straight from hell because he always works at us. In fact, we saw in John 8 last, last week, he's a master deceiver. He's a master manipulator. He's a master liar. That's all he knows. Deception is his native tongue. That's the only, only thing he knows how to speak. He's doing it here to try and deceive the king, to say, the things you see, I own, and I can give them to you. And, and, and Jesus' response is, it's not about what you own. It's about what owns you. And what owns you is what drives you. What motivates you is what keeps you, what is, keeps you, is what keeps you moving. And that's all about relationship with me. Now, get this as well, not, not from this text, from other scripture. We realize that the heart of a believer can never be possessed by the enemy. The heart of a believer, get this, it's pivotal, can never be possessed by the enemy. He can never own your soul, ever, ever under any circumstance can he take the heart of the believer and take it at his own possession he can however steal and own forever your witness the power of your story and the power of your story is what he values more than anything he's okay because you're already in he can't as i said he can't steal that he's okay with you going to heaven he just don't want you to take anybody with you he don't want the power of your story to influence someone else's life to the extent that they start to question maybe this god is real Maybe he can, maybe, maybe there are redemptive things that he can do in my life and maybe he does have a purpose and plan for me and maybe he does see further than I can see and maybe my destiny and my destination are wrapped up in his plan for me instead of what I want. And that story, as, we, as it's told over and over and over, is can, can and should be, as we looked at several weeks ago, contagious. That's what the enemy wants to own. He wants to own the power of your story to say, You're, here's what, you look like this failure when you were 15, when you were 25, when you were, you look like this today. And that's all you'll ever be. That's what you were then. It's what you are today. It's what you'll always be. Always speaking lies. Always speaking deception. That's who you were. It's who you are. It's who you're going to be. And that's just to say, keep your story to yourself because you don't have anything worth listening to. And the Lord says, you have everything worth listening to because all of that and more I redeemed. And all of that and more I can use for your good, Romans 8, and for my glory. He wants to steal those things, and he wants to deceive us into thinking the things we value aren't what we thought they were, and they are. He's the liar. He's the master deceiver. He'll he'll consistently, he'll, he'll consistently attack the things we value in the wilderness. Is this really working for you? I thought you thought this was important to you. What's it look like now? When your God isn't coming through, when life isn't working for you, when you're running out of money before you're running out of month, when, when, when there's sickness, when there's hardship, when there's loss, when there's death, when there's pain, how is God working for you now? How are the things you valued working out for you now? If we're standing on the things we value, we'll start to see God show up and use those things, as I said, for our good, for his glory. He attacks who we are. He attacks where we stand. And the middle battle is for what we value. But finally, you know, when you turn to Romans 8 to see this, this is not in Matthew 4. I'm sorry, uh, yes, Romans 8. I want you to see in these verses, it does tell us perfectly with with this passage in Matthew chapter 4, about how the enemy works at us and how he comes at us. Uh, Romans 8, verses 5 to 8 is where we're going to be and find this last point, which says the mental battle is both spiritual and constant. Look at these verses with me, Romans 8, 5 to 8. Those who live according to the sinful nature, watch this, have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind controlled by the sinful nature is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful sinful nature is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. What's he saying? He's saying our nature is is by nature of, of our separation from God sinful. The mind is on its own sinful. The mind, we've talked about this dozens of times over the years. We are born into this world self-consumed. Born into this world, feed me, change me, keep me warm, keep me happy, and I'll let you know if, if things get out of place. We're born consumed with ourself. It's the nature of who we are. We have to unlearn that behavior. How do we do that? By changing our heart, which in turn changes our mind by seeing life through a different lens than what we've been trained or or at least born by nature to see. And our nature is consumed with us, with those equal desires. It's consumed with me. He's saying that the, the nature, the mindset on God, his nature is to listen to the spirit of God, the mind of God, listening to the spirit of God. It is spiritual and it's constant. And the battle in the wilderness is won or lost in the mind. It is over and over and over again. The battle in the hard place, in adversity, when it's tough. Is won and lost in the mind. That's exactly where the enemy starts. It's where he attacks because he knows that's where victory is found. The son knew that as he finds himself in this battle in Matthew four. Jesus knows it's a battle for the mind and arms the mind. We'll see this more uh, a little more later. Arms arms himself with 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 this realizing he's up against a master manipulator, a master deceiver. Arms his mind with truth, and so. As we look at this, at this life you and I live, and we can see this in Romans 8, we can see it also in Ephesians 6, we are in a battle every day. We are facing every day spiritual warfare. It is, it is the fact that the enemy attacks us every day, and the Holy Spirit tries to guide us every day, and demonic influence is real in our world every day, and spiritual influence, if we know Christ, is real in our world every day. And here we find ourselves, as Paul found himself, saying, I do the very thing I don't want to do. The thing, I, the thing I don't need to do is the very thing I'm bent toward doing, and the very thing I need to do is the very is the harder thing for me. Who will deliver me? Who will separate me from this war within myself? Paul describes, and that's—that's that's what we face every day. We face spiritual warfare every day, and—and and usually in every situation. Now, you're going to ask him, as I'm pushing a grocery cart down the grocery aisle. I mean, everything's not spiritual warfare. It, the, Picking this brand over this brand is not spiritual warfare, is it? No, it's not. But picking what I want over what I need is every time in the grocery store. Picking that half gallon of ice cream over the head of broccoli, is it, it is spiritual warfare. Picking what I want over what I need is the enemy saying, you deserve this. You deserve that. Get that off the shelf. That's going to taste good too. That's going to go down easier than this is. He, the enemy plays games with us to say, here's what your life deserves. Here's what your life should look like. And if it doesn't look like that, your God isn't real. You can't count on him. You can't depend on him because look at the things you've done for him. And where has he shown up for you to make your life easier and better? And how dare we think our life is easier and better in a broken world full of full of sin with the enemy roaming about. We, we, we make those choices every day. and We don't see them. We don't recognize them because he's good and he's crafty. But we make those choices every day in subliminal ways that at the end of a, of a year or a decade, we look back and think, it's all been about me. Most of my life's been about me. What's, the, what's wrong with that picture? I'm commanded to give myself away into the lives of other folks for the benefit of the king and the kingdom. And so here we find ourselves in this, in this battle that, that the more we lose, the more we begin to accept losing. And the more we, we begin to accept losing, the more we begin to see a lifestyle that says, here's who I am. And that's not who I am. It's who I've been redefined to be. And the Lord's saying over here, no, here's who you are. I redeemed all of that crap. That's no longer who you are. You don't have to walk in that. And he's saying, this is who you are. It's who you've always been. It's who you're always going to be. It's who your witness is today. Where, where, where are those around you that are following after your witness and that are following after your Jesus, that are loving him? the way? And he says, it's found over here in me. That story is found in what I've redeemed from over here. And, that, and that, the, the power of our story is the, is the power of the very thing he's trying to steal And lie and deceive us into thinking, keep that to yourself. Just keep that stuff to yourself. Nobody's interested in that. not going to change anybody's life. Their story is better than yours anyway. Yours is pretty pretty vanilla. Keep that story to yourself. Nobody wants to hear that. And and, and people around us need not, not only hear it, but see it in us to see, I've seen his life. I know some of the circumstances that he or she has faced. And man, there's something different in a hard place with them than there is with me. They see things different adversity than I see. In fact they come out sometimes looking stronger and more confident and more assured on the tail end of a hard place than I do. What's different about that? The thing's different about that is we see ourselves for who we are instead of who he who he tries to redefine us to be. It's it's the way he works. It is spiritual, it is constant and we are in a war. I want I I can't emphasize that enough. I want you to see that every day. We have a real enemy who's coming after us every day. And we can only win on the side of truth. Question and observation as we close. Here it is. Is your mind, we've seen him attack the mind of Jesus over and over and over here. Is your mind up to the task? It is, is it up to the task of the temptation, the test, the trial, that God has allowed, we looked at that last week, that God has allowed to occur in you, in you or around you? Is your mind up to the task? Well, good question. How can I know that? Here's how you can know that. It depends on whether we're grounded in truth or open to a lie. Whether our mind is up to the task has everything to do with whether our mind is grounded in truth or whether there's a sliver of hope, a, 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 a slightly open door to a lie, to deception. If there is, that's where the enemy's going to come in. It's where he's going to seek to devour us. Jesus' response is here. We saw, and we'll see this more in the next couple of weeks. Jesus' responses here were grounded in truth. They were grounded in Scripture. They were grounded in what, was, what is absolutely true every time. And so they weren't grounded in, 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 in hope. They weren't grounded in maybes. They weren't grounded in, well, gee, that sounds pretty good. They were grounded in truth, in what is absolutely true every time, every day, in every situation. He, he was grounded that way. And if we want, want our mind to be equipped to handle the task of the, of the hard place, of the, of, the, of, the de- of the desert, of the adversity, of the wilderness, it's going to have to be grounded in things that are truthful, in things that are absolutely right and can be depended upon over and over and over in, in any and every situation, in any and every aspect of life. If ours are, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you some news today. If ours are grounded in truth, we win every spiritual battle. I said we're going to see more of this the next couple of weeks. We win every spiritual battle grounded, solidified, bedrocked in truth. If we're open to deception and open to, to a lie and open to reason and open to maybe and open to possibility, the enemy will say, listen, he, he, he may be trustworthy, but then again, he may not be. He says he was, but the evidence today in your life doesn't bear that out to be true, does it? And the more we find ourselves open to a little bit of a lie, the wider the chasm becomes. And the more we're open to and exposed to maybe God can't be trusted. Or for many believers, I think this is the case. Maybe heaven is real and that's my home. I just need to chuck everything that happens here. because God has no purpose or plan for me here to impact there. And there couldn't be, that couldn't be further from the truth. There is about what we do here. And whether we take anybody with us to there has everything to do with our story here. And our story here has everything to do with God can be trusted in the wilderness. Why? Because I've found these things to be true in the hard place, in the desert. He can be trusted. He's got design to this. He's got plan to this. We're going to see that more next week. Are you ready? Is your mind up to the task for the battle of the enemy throwing at you? And he does it, as I said, every day, every day.